0: I just think our God's amazing. I think he's awesome. He's incredible. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present. He's got a great sense of humor. Now, some people don't think about that about God. You know, what? God has a great sense of humor? Yeah, look at the person beside you. Uh, evidence that he has a great sense of humor. <laughs> Maybe I should have said we should look in the mirror. He has a great sense of humor. Every time I look at an aardvark, I think, Wow, you got a great sense of humor, God, you know, to create that, you know, how, how incredible God is. Uh, he, he's just, he's everything. His creative genius is beyond what our minds can even grab a hold of. If you ever look in, at the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, even if you're here today and this is the first time you've been to church and you've never heard anything about the Bible, you probably have heard this. On day number one, God begins the creation process and he says this, and let there be light. He says, and let there be light, and there was light. And then he separated the light from the darkness, and the evening and the morning was the first day. Uh, That's mind-blowing. Now you may say, what's so mind-blowing about that? To speak and light be created is is mind-blowing. But it's more mind-blowing when we think about it. But then he creates the daily cycle. We've got this daily, evening and morning was the first day. Then you watch some more creation, evening and morning was the second day. And he goes on, now here's what blew me away. Day four... He creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. I remember the first time I read that, I said, how do you have evening and morning without the sun and the moon and the stars? My mind can't get around that, but our God can do it. Our God can. In fact, the Bible says we'll have no need of the sun when we're in his presence, for the the light of Jesus will light up everything. So he's able to create evening and morning without a sun. Without a moon, without a star. And he created the daily cycle there on planet Earth. He's an incredible, incredible God. And then he goes on through creation. He starts creating all kinds of things. But it seems like there's kind of this mass creation. But, but then he gets to day six and he creates us. He creates human beings. And when he creates human beings, he holds a, a strategic planning session. You know, the animals are all getting created. Seriously, if you read, it kind of seems like in mass form, they're getting created. But then he says, hold it. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let's give him dominion, rulership over everything on planet Earth. What's he doing? He's creating us like him. Now, we're not God, but we are little G-gods on planet Earth, not not. God, are you with me when I say that? But we're created to reign, to rule, to have creativity, and all that. We, we are, we human beings are, and man, if we could ever see this, we can see it in other people, but if we could ever see it in ourselves, that we are actually the crowning achievement of God's creative glory. Just we human beings. David saw it in himself at one time where he said, man, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. He saw all that we are in the creative order of God. And so we are his crowning achievement. We're his crowning glory. God God had a meeting when he created me and created you, and we are amazing creatures. Now, this isn't just some kind of biblically unsubstantiated motivational thing. This is what the Word of God teaches. This is what what the Scriptures teach. Now, scientists will tell us that there's only 4% difference between us and a chimpanzee. Now, I've mentioned that on occasion before, but but it's usually a fleeting thought, so I thought, okay, I'm going to really look at this. Now, I'm assuming that's true. I'm assuming the scientists have looked at that and said there's a 4% difference. But would we all agree that 4% must be really, really big? It must be really, really big 4% difference. Because you look at a chimpanzee, or, or an ape, or an orangutan, or a monkey of any kind, and you say to yourself, what have they brought to the plate? You know, what have they brought? Medically, scientifically, artistically, musically. What have they brought in, in electronics or technology or science? And you know what the answer is? Nothing. Nothing. Now, I'm not dismissing the animal kingdom. I love the animal kingdom. I think the animal kingdom is absolutely amazing. But they didn't bring anything to the table like that because we're created like that. We're God's special creation. We, we were created to be like him, to rule and to reign and have creative power and thoughts and all kinds of things like God has. And so we're very, very special in the order of things. And there's this thing I was looking at in the, the Discovery Channel one time. I mentioned it before years ago. And it was it's this capuchin monkey, which was really uh, incredible. I'm watching this thing. It's talking about this monkey using tools. Now, I do want you to know when... when we talk about animals using tools. They're—they're they're not uh, circular saws and jackhammers and stuff like that. They're things like sticks and rocks. But it was still pretty impressive. So I'm watching this thing, and they—they they like this—the—the nut that's inside a palm nut, but they have to crack it open. So it goes on and says, "This monkey will take a rock and will whack open that nut to get to it." And I thought that's pretty impressive. I thought I—I I mean, I was seriously—I was like, "That is impressive." Until this next line that the Discovery Channel said. So I, I watched it again so I could get it verbatim. Here it is. You can throw the slide up. Here's the monkey. Discovery Channel said it can take eight years for young Capuchins to perfect this art and overcome the palms' formidable defenses. Well, when I found out it took eight years, I was not quite as impressed as I was before. Eight years. If you've ever had a toddler, and they know there's a cookie on the top shelf, they could construct something to get up to it. You know, it can't even talk yet. I was watching one time where this um, little baby got put in the crib. They shout the light, but they had a little, you know, camera in the room. This baby, like, jumped his crib over to the light, turned on the light, and crawled out and started playing. I thought, can't even talk yet. So that's kind of impressive to me. So, yeah, we are God's crowning achievement. If we can get the backslides on for me, Trudy, that'd be great. Um, God came down. We serve the God who came down. We serve a God who comes down. We see that in, in Genesis. God came down and created. God came down, he walked with us and talked with us in the cool of the day. He's not afraid to come down. He's not afraid to fellowship. He's not afraid to get in our mess. He's not afraid to stoop down. He's not afraid to get on our level. And we look at the Old Testament scriptures and we see several things that come to pass. We, we see God came down in creation, walked with us in the garden. We see God came down Sodom and Gomorrah. We saw that God came down Sinai with the Ten Commandments. We saw Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And it was a terrifying thing to see God. So, And that's just a few of the examples where God came down. Now, it always wasn't a beautiful encounter when God came down. Sometimes there was judgment. Sometimes there was correction. But again, God's heart is always to direct us to a path that brings life. And so we serve this God who comes down. I started thinking about this because a couple weeks ago, now last week we had um, uh, Craig Keene here. And uh, real, I was really disappointed because Craig did a wonderful job. I mean, I, 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 I hate when we have a guest speaker and I start getting emails that say, why don't you stay gone a few more weeks? You know, it's like, hold it. Hold it. Uh, he did a wonderful job, I watched that, uh, did a fantastic job. But the week before that, I, I, we looked at this thing as, that is unthinkable, that God, Jesus, God in human flesh, the creator of the universe, that he actually, when everybody else is too proud, too afraid they would be looked down upon, that Jesus actually, remember we talked about it a couple weeks ago, he... He took off his outer garment, wrapped himself with a towel, poured water in a basin, and he washed the disciples' feet. He, he stooped down. Uh, that's, that's the house awesome of God we serve. A God who'll stoop down. A God who'll come right down at the level that we're at. And, and I'm not going to re preach the message, but verse 3 uh, tells us in that story that Jesus knew that God had placed all power under his feet. He knew he came from God, and he knew he was going to God. So, because he knew that so, he got up from the meal and wrapped himself with that towel and washed the disciples' feet. Now, feet aren't generally the, the most, you know, impressive part of us. That, and I got to figure out these disciples didn't have like uh, model feet, you know what I mean? They had rough feet, dirty feet, filthy feet. Jesus got right down in there and it uh, was unthankable. So much that Peter said, you will never wash my feet. And he said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. And Peter said, then wash my feet, my hands, my head. Yeah. Don't you love the heart of Peter? Basically, he was saying, I want everything. I want all of you. If washing my feet gives me a part of you, then wash my hands, wash my head, do whatever it takes. I want all of you. Oh, that our hearts would stir like that. I want all of you. Whatever you got, Lord, I want it. Amen. So we look at this Jesus who stepped down. We have this other amazing passage. Maybe think about another time where Jesus stooped down. It's the lady caught in adultery. Do you remember the story? She's caught in adultery. And, and I'm not going to read the passage to you, but let's go to that slide. We're done with the monkey. He disappointed us, so we've got to go to Jesus. Jesus doesn't disappoint. It's found in John 8, 1 through 11, and it's a wonderful story and a powerful story, um, The Bible says that Jesus went, he was in the temple courts and and, uh, he sat down. The Bible says he sat down to teach. And so a a large crowd began to gather and began to teach. Well, he got interrupted by some Pharisees and some teachers of the law who had caught a woman in adultery. Now, I know I mentioned this and it's really sad. Um, And I may not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but I thought it took two to commit adultery, and so, but there's only the woman that's being delivered you know, to, the, to them. And the scripture goes on to say they made her stand in front of the people. You know why? Because they're jerks. That's why. That's not actually in the passage, but that's what I believe. I mean, well, The whole goal was we just want to humiliate her. And so they made her stand in front of the people... And they asked Jesus a question, if you read the story, they asked Jesus a question with the purpose of trapping him. That was their goal. Their goal wasn't to honor the law. Their goal wasn't to do anything except to trap Jesus. And the Bible says that they began to ask him, they said, Jesus, the law of Moses says that she should be stoned to death. And the scripture says that Jesus knelt down, he began to write with his finger in the sand. Never tells us what he wrote. Writes with the fingers. I heard one guy say he thinks he was writing the names of the women they had committed adultery with. I doubt that was it, but I thought, well, that's a, that would make you think twice as they look down. Ooh, uh, we don't know what he was writing in the sand. But he writes there, and they're just pummeling with questions and questions and questions. And so Jesus, he's so smart, he doesn't dismiss the law at all. He just stands up and says, tell you what, uh, those of you that have not committed a sin, whoever wants to start, let's get this stoning rolling. You know, let's get it going. So, but here's the criteria. If you haven't sinned, cast the first stone. And after he says that, says he kneels back down, begins to write with his finger in the sand. Well, there's a long, quiet pause after that. Slowly but surely, stones begin to drop. From the oldest to the youngest. The, the oldest honestly know. Gosh, not that they've only committed one sin. They're probably going through their mind thinking about all the sins they've committed, oldest to the youngest. And then finally, he says to the lady, Is there no one here to condemn you? And he said, No one, Lord. And he says, Neither do I condemn you. Now, now the world loves that story to that point. But there's more. Neither do I condemn you. Now go, leave your life of sin. That the, Jesus is, is not soft on sin. He's soft on the sinner, but he's not soft on sin. And so he tells... To go leave your life of sin. The world wants to stop before that line because the world really wants to say, and by the way, we all want that. All human beings want this. I want to live like I want to live, how I want, where I want, with whom I want, do whatever I want, and I want you to approve of it. I mean, they would have liked if Jesus would have said, I kind of get what's going on in your life. We all struggle with stuff. I don't have a problem with it. Go live however you want. But no, he said, no. Go leave your life of sin. As we look through Scripture, it's always a challenge for us. Leave your life of sin. And so Jesus was not afraid to stoop down. He was not afraid to get low. He was not afraid to get in our midst. The Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus because they wanted him to condemn her. I'm going to give you some good news. They came to the wrong guy. The reason I know they came to the wrong guy is what the Bible tells us in John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. They came looking for a condemner, they found a savior. And she found a savior too. We got an awesome God. <laughs> we got an amazing God. You know, sometimes you run into people who aren't even serving God, and they say, I love God, and they think, that don't impress me. He's easy to love. He's amazing. He's an amazing God. He was not willing to condemn. But where Jesus stooped down to bring freedom for you and for me? Because all of us have a moment. All of us have lots of moments where Jesus has to stoop down. He has to get down our mess. Was it drug abuse? Was it immorality? Was it a bad self-image? Was it, was it abuse? Was it alcohol? Was it depression? Uh, was it bullying? Was it mental or emotional trauma? I mean, the list goes on and on and on. What is it that Jesus got right down with us and said, I don't condemn you either, but i got a great idea for you. This will really help you with life. Leave your life of sin. Why does he challenge us to leave a life of sin? Because sin always produces, do you remember? Death. Sin always produces death. So how could the giver of life encourage you and say it's okay to sin when sin produces death? And he came that you might have life. I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest measure. And so Jesus is always moving us away from sin. When he kneels down with us, he's full of compassion, he's full of forgiveness, he's full of love, he's full of hope, he's full of joy, he's full of encouragement, he's full of all those things. And if we'll receive it, if we'll believe it, if we'll live in it, it'll transform our lives. But I want to challenge us. Jesus stooped down in her brokenness and sin, he stoops down our brokenness and sin as well, but he also stooped down to bring her up. He doesn't come down to wallow in it with you. He comes down to meet you in it and then lift you up. Even the psalmist says, I'm lifted up out of the miry clay, out of the deep pit, out of the awful place. And I'm raised up and my feet are put on a rock. So Jesus goes down. He goes low. God goes down. He deals with us. He forgives us. He loves us. He gives us a new identity. He gives us a new identity. If anyone is in Christ, their new creation They have a new identity. The old is gone, the new has come. He who knew no sin became sin, so you and I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. There are some, and I understand the humility of our heart, there are some who balk at being called a saint because they think, ah, that's that. I mean, I'm not a saint. But according to Jesus and according to the Word of God, if you are a Christian, you are a saint. The Scripture says he writes the, the epistles, the letters, it's just a word for letter, the letters in the New Testament. Are written often say to the saints, "We're saints." The Catholic Church does not get the right to declare whether you're a saint or not. Jesus does. When you know Him, you're a saint. You are a saint. And so, what happened? We got a new identity. We got a new identity. We're no longer a sinner. We're a saint. And you'll hear me mention this on occasion. And uh, I, I think there's some importance to it as well. And it, it's how we see ourselves. When we see ourselves a sinner, and you've heard me say this before, I want to reinforce it. If I'm a sinner, what do sinners do? They sin. So I don't want the identity that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. What I really am, I'm very serious about this. I'm not just, you know, trying to split hairs. This is a biblical concept. I was a sinner who was saved by the grace of God, and I now am a saint in Christ. I have a new identity. Now, if I get an identity that I'm a saint, we don't think a saint's gone around sinning all the time, do we? Because we've we got a new identity. So we begin to embrace this new identity of who we are in Christ. We are saints, not sinners. And so he calls us into this new identity. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, he gives us a new name even. He writes our name down in the Lamb's Book of Life. He gives us a new realm, and a new dimension to live in. Now, we're going to spend a little time talking about that because it's, it's almost overwhelming to think about, but God wants us to move into a new dimension, a new realm that we're going to live life in where we'll be empowered by God. So, Jesus comes down and then raises us up. So we're going to look at Revelation. and I, we, we don't do this very often, but we're going to get crazy and read the entire chapter of Revelations. I know. It's 11 verses. It's just, I know, it's, it's, it's not Psalm 119, thank God. It's, it's uh, Revelation 4. So Revelation 4, John the Revelator. John, who, I had the privilege of being in the cave that John was in on Patmos, and, and he had actually carved out a place in the wall... And he carved out a place. And you know why? Because he liked to pray on his knees. Now, there's no rule to pray on your knees, but he wanted to pray on his knees. He had that carved out there because as he got older, he couldn't just pop up. So that was his little thing. He could push on, push himself up to his feet as he prayed. I used to think, man, John had a lucky. Everybody else had some pretty brutal deaths. Until I was the Patmos and learned that Patmos was a place for the criminally insane that they did not even want, even getting close to human civilization. So they exiled him to an island. Can you imagine being exiled to an island of the most heinous, wicked, violent, awful criminals in the world? It probably wasn't a great place to vacation. You know, it was a, a tough place. So John is having this encounter where, where the Lord's showing him things that are to come in what we call the book of Revelation. So in Revelation chapter 4... John's writing, he says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I'd heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place. At once I was in the Spirit. Uh, That's a good place to be. You know, that's a a good place to be, in the Spirit. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven. He's going to unfold this thing. We're just going to get a little tiny glimpse of God and his glory here. But go ahead and let it sink in. We're going to get a little glimpse. There was this throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it, and the one who sat sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. These these guys are wild. Four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second like an ox. The third had the face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Now, I have no idea. My supposition, I'm I'm serious, this is my supposition. You can read somebody else that's smarter than me and they may give you a better thing, but I just started thinking about that and thought, you know what? I think they need all those eyes to just capture a glimpse of God's glory. I think it's so amazing, so outstanding, so incredible that they need to see All of it, and they still can't capture all of his glory. Then it says, "...each of the four living creatures has six wings covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, and who lives forever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne." And worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy. I just pictured, I I don't know if we're going to have, well, it does say there's crowns that we earn in the kingdom. But I, I think these people are just saying, I'm not worthy to wear this crown. You're worthy. They take it off and lay it at his feet. Knowing our God, he puts it back on their head because obviously it's always there every time this happens that they take it off. You are worthy. O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will, they were created and have their being. Wow. Little little glimpse of the power, beauty, and majesty of God. Let's go back to the first slide of Revelation 4. So I want us to see something here. The, The first slide says, After this I looked, and there was before me a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Now, I know this is a very specific interaction that John's having with God in heaven. And there are some who would say, you can't apply any of this to yourself, but I see the scripture is always giving us examples of application for our lives. I, 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 this scripture gets beat up all the time in, in Chronicles where it says, if my people who are called by na- my name and humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, you know the verse. And I'll read all the time, we can't claim that. That was for those people. I said, yes, we can. Sure we can. Has God's passion changed? Not at all. I think that's applicable to our lives. I understand that was a verse given to those people at a very specific time, but I'll guarantee you that verse will fit my life and your life many times that we can apply that. And so God is saying, there's a door. Did you notice something about this door? It's open. It's not the door where He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock if anyone would open the door. This door is open. It's giving an invitation to us. This door's open. And he says, and I like this, I've already come down there. I've got in your mess. I've delivered you. I've given you freedom and, and love and forgiveness and purpose and acceptance and a new name. I've, done, I've got down in your mess. Now, here's what I want. Come up here. I think it's time for the church to come up here. You know, we, we, we do a lot of, let's wallow down here. No, let's not wallow down there. <laughs> now, hear me. Because I got a father's heart, hear me, I'll get in your mess with you, and we'll wallow around for a little bit, but the goal is going to be to get you out. I don't want to wallow around in the mess with you for a year, five years, ten years. I, wanna, I want you to know, there's a door open for you, and, and, and God's saying, come up here, come up here, we're, we're done down there, come up here, he's calling us up, Hmm. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, I do because we found out in Colossians 1.13 that we've been rescued from the kingdom, the domain, the dominion of darkness and been transferred into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's an open door. You had an open door to get out of that kingdom and get in this kingdom. We found out in Ephesians 1 that Jesus has been raised up, seated high above everything else. And Ephesians 2 says we've been raised up with him we got a new position, it's an open door, a new place, a new dimension to live in, a new plane to to do life on. And we're we're seated with Christ, and it stresses far above, not just a little bit above, but far above, far above. I love that about God. He's always exceeding everything. He, He always is. I just think about it all the time, that's why I share it with you all the time. God isn't just enough, he's more than enough. The Bible says, now unto him who's able to do. It'd be fine to say anything and everything, but now to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above. All that you can ask, think, or imagine. Wow. We, he has all surpassing power. He has, he's far above. Everything's more than it needs to be in God. The only problem I have with this is I'm fearful that we watch too much TV. So when we think about you know, going into a new dimension or a new plane, we visualize a portal opening. And we step through and we dematerialize. And then we rematerialize. And go, Oh, yeah. But no, that's not the way it works. Jesus had a kingdom. He lived in it and operated in it all the time. He said, and he said the kingdom of God is within you. He operated in that kingdom all the time. And people would walk by him and not even know he was operating in a kingdom. He said, I have a kingdom that's not of this world. He said, you know, rescue yourself. I could, I could call a legion of angels. I could call 10,000 angels. I read in the Old Testament one time one single angel killed like 70 or 80,000 people in a battle, so you wouldn't even need a legion. One would, one would suffice. But he said, I have a kingdom that's not of this world. And so when we step into a relationship with God, we walk into the dimension, and we now place ourselves in a kingdom that's not of this world, but we operate in it. We operate it. Any place, listen carefully, any place you will make Jesus king, his kingdom is operating there. Any any place you'll make him king. And so in my life, in this church, in our homes, in our region, we declare Jesus Christ is king, he is Lord, he is master, he is sovereign. Then his kingdom reigns there. Any place we will let Jesus be king, his kingdom reigns. And he's calling us up to that. And so we live these ordinary, extraordinary lives right here on planet Earth. Our everyday walking around doing life-lives should be operating in a different dimension, on a different level, in a different kingdom. There's a Christian TV show host who has this little line, naturally supernatural. I say, I like that. So I think that's what the, the, I'm trying to convey and what the scriptures try to convey. We, do, we live a supernatural life very naturally. You, you may say a prayer sometime. You didn't feel anything. Well, big deal. You're in a kingdom. And it functions. And so you'll find, wow, I got that prayer answer. So I didn't feel any goosebumps. Didn't feel any emotions. Didn't get loud. Didn't do anything. Now, it's a time for anything however the Lord leads you. But you're in a kingdom. You're releasing something in a kingdom. The, the power of our prayers and of our words and of our lives. We live in a kingdom. Now, Jesus is saying, come up. Now, I know you all got a natural life. You're going to leave here. You're going to get something to eat. You're going to mow grass this week. You're going to clean the house. You're going to wash dishes. You're going to clean yourself. You're going to brush your teeth. You're going to, you know, prepare food. You're going you're to go to work. You're going to go, I think, school's out for the summer. You're, gonna, you're just going to do life. But I want to encourage you, do life with a kingdom focus. Do life realizing, I am on assignment. I, I just just one ask is, what do you do for a living? Somebody shout out to me what they do for a living. Drive a truck. What? Electrolysis. What else? Teacher. What? Nursing. What else? Farmer. Accounting. Accounting. There for a minute, I thought we only had two employed people, but now I'm starting to see we got more. Okay. Now, let, let me say this to you. You're not just an accountant. You're not just a farmer. You're a nurse, teacher, truck driver. You're on assignment. And every day, you need to wake up and say, I represent a kingdom. And so I'm on assignment. What? I may think I'm just coming here as a plumber to fix their pipes, but I'm on assignment. And you walk out there and you say, well, I didn't do anything. Oh, then while you're there working on their plumbing, pray the peace of God over the household. The Bible says when we walk into a place, why? Because we're in a different kingdom. When I walk into a place, I carry with me peace. You say, well, who do you think you are? Just a saint who loves God? Who believes the Bible? The Bible says if you enter into a place, you take your peace with it. Now, if they reject you and kick you out, it's... Now, think about this. Take that peace back with you. This is a tangible thing. This is a real kingdom that we live in. And so, I'm not just a plumber. I'm not just what, I'm, I'm, I'm on assignment. We'll change the world around so we start living on assignment. You have been translated into a different kingdom, so you have a kingdom assignment. And so that doesn't mean I'm going to quit being an accountant or a plumber or a teacher or a farmer or a nurse or whatever. No, that means you want to stay there and be what you can be for the glory of God, to impact someone's life, to change the world around us. The most exciting enterprise on planet Earth is the kingdom of God. It's the most exciting enterprise on the planet Earth. You say, oh, I want to work for XYZ Company. Well, I don't care if you work for XYZ Company, but the most exciting assignment you'll ever have is the kingdom of God. So we start thinking. Amen. We start thinking different. We start praying different. We start keeping our eyes open. Because I have noticed this. I have far too often gone out and not realized I was on assignment and missed lots of opportunities. But when I open up my eyes that I'm on assignment, I find opportunities everywhere. It's interesting. It's like I told you before, we were, we were in the, the Grand Tetons and we were floating down, not a white water rafting thing, by the way, we were leisurely floating. And I remember the guy said, what do you want to see? And I said, two things. I want to see a moose. I want to see a bald eagle. And I want to see Rocky the squirrel. Well, that was the third thing. We didn't see that one. But, but listen to this. I know I've shared this with you before, but let's get it. If you want to see a moose, you look in a totally different place than if you're looking for an eagle. And if you want to see an eagle, you look in a different place than if you're looking for a moose. You'll, you'll be much more likely to see something if you're looking for it. And so look for assignment. How's God going to use you today and every day? So we see this great thing where Jesus is healing, forgiving, freeing, accepting, joy, peace, everything, all this is going on. We live in this incredible kingdom, and we see this glimpse. And what we should say when we see that glimpse is say, oh, yeah, I want some of that right now. And you say, well, you can't do that. Oh, yes, you can. You know who said so? Jesus. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. And part of the prayer was, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's going on in heaven? They're worshiping God. They're praising God. They're in the peace of God. They're in the joy of God. They're in all this in God. And that kingdom that we operate in can operate here now. But again, get get science fiction out of your head about portals and materializing and dematerializing. We have been translated into the kingdom and we can live as kingdom people. So what we're going to do, we're going to end the service a little different today. Here in a moment, we're going to play a song. Facebook, those of you who are watching, we love you. Facebook will probably shut this down, although it's open to anyone to see. I don't know why they do it, but we're going to play Carrie Jobe's Revelation song. That was last week's message. (laughs) Revelation song. And what happens, what we're going to do, is we're going to open up the altar, so you can come forward and pray if you want to. Don't, it don't matter to me. Just, I'm not going to beg you to do it. We're just going to do it, and you come forward and pray. When the song's over, I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to dismiss with a Bible verse. You can stay in your seat. You can stand. You can kneel. You can do whatever you want. But what I want us to do is I want us to say, okay, God, here, there's two things I want you to do. One is if there's some kind of a mess in your life, it may not be huge. Maybe mess is too strong of a word. I want you to bring that before the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to get in my mess here and help me fix this. I'm trusting your power and your presence to, to help this. And then that's prayer phase one. Prayer phase two is, yes, Lord, I want to walk through the open door, and I want to experience kingdom living. I want to live an extraordinary, supernatural life in a very natural way.